डियर लिसनर्स साईराम वेलकम टू अवर रेडियो सीरीज आफ्टरनून सत्संग दिस इज अ डिस्कशन बिटवीन रेडियो साईज प्रेम एंड अरविंद ऑन डिफरेंट स्पिरिचुअल टॉपिक्स एवरी थर्सडे ऑन एशिया स्ट्रीम यू कैन एन्जॉय दिस लाइव कॉन्वर्सेशन इट्स फ्रॉम ट्वेल्व थर्टी पी एम टू टू पी एम इंडियन स्टैंडर्ड टाइम द टॉपिक ऑफ टूडेज एपिसोड इज सत्यम शिवम सुंदरम the life story of bhagwan shri satyasai baba and this was first featured as part of thursday live on october 31st 2013 offering a most loving pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet Dear listeners this is Prem from Team Radio Sai being joined along with Arvind and we are welcoming you to yet another episode of our afternoon satsang and if you followed us last week and all through our satsangs you'll know that we are in the middle of our Satyam Shivam Sundaram episodes and we are talking about the 1948 events that happened in that year and the most stand out event was the purchase of the land on which stands the Prashantinilya Ashram and how Swami went about beginning the construction of the mandir but before we get into all that and much more let me join you all in welcoming arvind sairam arvind <laughs> sairam prem i'm overwhelmed by this very warm welcome <laughs> yes offering my most humble salutations and gratitude at the lotus feet of our dear swami we will dive into 1948 you know so many things happened in 1948 as they have happened in every year that the avatar was on earth but in the background the construction of the mandir went on and so now you will see that as we relive the beautiful episodes of 1948 it will seem as if the construction of the mandir is forgotten it is not it is just that it went on in the background relentlessly for a few years before it was actually inaugurated in 1950 so we have to keep in mind that the most important incident or event as far as history of the avatar is concerned in 1948 is the beginning of the construction of the prashantinilyam as we know it today but we will not be talking much about it in this satsang because that is going on in the background while in the foreground so many things happen and it's also 1948 had it been 1990 or later the construction of the mandir would have happened in 6 months <laughs> seen how it happened with the hospital and the other buildings in so fact the uh, satyasai indoor stadium the international sports center i think it was built in about 128 days right. and i remember i was a student in the hostel then and every day as we would walk out for darshan we would see one big board placed right at the entrance the main gate of this building being constructed and there was this notice showing that 120 days to go 119 days to go so it was literally a countdown and it was miraculous you know as if it is a building built of lego blocks it looked like that because the huge massive building came up in less than 3 to 4 months time <laughs> you know having said that a wonder of what it was in the initial days coming up in a place like prashantinilyam in that span of even 2 years No, forty-eight. Swami uh, starts the construction. Foundation stone is laid. In two years, to have the building absolutely ready, and Swami moves in. That itself was phenomenal. You know, for the description we hear of Pashantinilam in those days. Absolutely, it was unimaginable 
to even get some of the bulldozers earth movers and other construction equipment that were necessary and let us remember it this was about 60 to 70 years ago 65 years ago to be precise and that was a time when construction equipment had not made such progress also in fact uh, if we see the indoor stadium we were talking about it it has been constructed with a special kind of quick drying concrete can you believe it a concrete that dries up and sets within 24 hours and Is therefore yes and that was the reason why they could proceed at that breakneck speed and in fact the whole roof was prefabricated and made and kept ready and literally like a lego block it was lifted and placed upon top so they could do a kind of parallel processing and that's why they achieved it in record time none of these techniques had been discovered yet because there was not enough technology to support such techniques and even if technology was there to some extent it was not even remotely possible for such technology to reach a remote place like puttaparthi and therefore we can confidently say that the fact that it the whole mandir came up in 2 years is definitely a miracle in itself and that's true you know once i was talking to a friend of my father and he worked for the lnt and he okay. was once sharing with us that there was a point when there was a nationwide strike i think all the trucks were off the road or something like that mm-hmm. he said construction had stopped in all sites of lnt except in prashantinilam oh larsen and tubro huh. yes he said only in prashantinilam it was going on because some devotee was ready to offer his trucks for swami's service wow when every other person's trucks were off the road that's amazing you know <laughs> it is amazing in a sense and in the other sense it doesn't seem amazing because if if god cannot do it who else can that is the question and god naturally achieves everything talking of constructions in 1948 apart from the prashantinilam mandir swami also laid foundation stone for a public park and radio house at bukapatnam right that's a very interesting concept i think people of our age and generation will not cannot understand it because we carry a radio in our pocket <laughs> i mean radio itself is outdated yes radio itself is outdated and the only radio we have a contact with is maybe the fm radio which is very popular in the cities and radio sai yeah <laughs> of course you know yeah internet radio that's what i was trying to say that you know you can carry a gadget like a phone or something in your pocket and which can connect you to a thousand radio stations hmm. but in that time imagine they couldn't afford a radio so they would have what is called a radio park and in fact if you listen to uh, some of avengatravan's musings he says that's where they used to go and listen to the radio the a radio news, house that would be built right, either radio house or in a public park they would have two huge uh, horn speakers which connected to connected to a radio <laughs> and they would have fixed times of for the news so they would walk to the uh, evening in the in the park and that's where they would sit and listen to the news wow it was more especially like- because it was the you know the time of independence and indian nationalism right. was on its rise yes so swami laid the foundation stone for this park which was inaugurated an year later on the 5th of may 1949 by none other than neelam sanjeeva reddy who later on i think in somewhere in the mid 1950s went on to become the chief minister of andhra the state pradesh. of andhra pradesh he won two terms as the chief minister of the state and later on became even the president of the indian nation right in fact so, uh, if you recall when he was talking to mr nagaraj from the anandpur he was telling that even when neelam sanjeev reddy came home 
he was not allowed inside the house because he was of a lower caste because he was lower caste but Tommy was allowed and he was sitting in the living room that's yes. what he had said so reference was made to him during that conversation so neelam sanjeeva reddy was a staunch uh, follower and devotee of bhagwan and yes so he was the one who inaugurated that public park and radio house and reading about which prema i really have this uh, curiosity i am very eager i have been to bukapatnam several times i don't seem to have seen this i hope it is still there because i have seen the photograph in the book of the foundation stone which says that foundation stone laid by bhagwan sri satya sai baba in 1948 so i just hope that the park is still there and maybe we can visit it sometime Definitely. and if we find it we can broadcast it on the radio so all our listeners when they visit prashanthaliam can visit this park the foundation stone of which was laid by swami Definitely. the public park and radio house at bukapatnam in fact you know some of these uh, inaugurations especially this park and few other things in bukapatnam it was not just that swami went and laid a foundation stone in fact this park which we're talking about mm-hmm. i think swami didn't go for the inauguration he went for the foundation stone, stone laying yeah the inauguration was as you mentioned was done by neelam sanjeev reddy but the interesting thing is the background work which was going on for each of these inaugurations you know the mm-hmm. way swami was coordinating the entire effort he mm-hmm. was writing letters back and forth to the devotees who were getting material and was communicating to the people in bukapatnam even though swami was traveling sometimes he was in bangalore he would write saying that this is how you, this has to be used and procure this from there yes naturally because you know the people who were financing the project were different from people who were involved in getting materials for the project different from people who were managing the project but overall the ceo if we can say so was swami and so he had to coordinate and as you said it's amazing though he was traveling all around the place that is in south india at that time he kept in constant touch with different people to ensure that the progress was on in all these constructions just like how he used to do even towards 1990s and 2000 also whenever any new project was announced swami would be intimately and completely immersed in the details of the project he would be updated yes so the beginnings of what we saw even in our student days was there right from the 1940s itself when swami oversaw the construction of this public park and yes even the prashanthaliam mandir right. and the patha mandir before that you know even when we were talking about this park I was reminded the recent most musing which uh, venkatramansa did mm-hmm. he did about mahatma gandhi and there he mentions of one of the incidents where he hears a news from this public park oh okay yeah. <laughs> you know speaking of mahatma gandhi last satsang i think we discussed about how swami on 30th of january 1948 kept inside his room and indicated that a mahatma had left right and that mahatma happened to be mahatma gandhi you know on the same day 30th of january something else happened something very interesting this happened to miss ml leela another devotee of bhagwan she was located in madras at that time right and she recounts that on the 30th of january she was very saddened when she got to know Madras being a city they get the news faster right. Puttaparthi got to know only 2 days later but she was very saddened when she got to know that Mahatma Gandhi had passed away the father of the nation had died she began to shed tears and she says that once she began to shed tears those tears would not stop i mean it was no longer emotion and sentiment and sorrow it was some kind of a problem and the eyes were continuously shedding tears and they became swollen and red within by the evening by the next day her eyes were very swollen very painful they were red 
and in fact they say that it was a kind of uh, an infection that had set in so uh, when this infection had set in they did not know what happened i mean what started off as emotion right. <laughs> seemed to have become a disease they had no idea but even before they could go to the doctor they receive a letter at home and this letter is from swami and can you believe it it has been written almost a week before that is somewhere on 23rd or 24th of january a week before the 30th of january and in that swami writes to the father of leela saying that i know that your daughter is suffering from such and such an eye pain i shall be going to kuppam in february and you know we spoke about it last week right. how swami attended the wedding of uh, vijay kumari yes at kuppam so swami says you come there i will be there in kuppam on the 22nd so 23rd if you can come to kuppam i will take care don't worry about the eyes of leela and so they are so thrilled at this leela <laughs> of the lord and so she bears with it huh? she suffers for almost a fortnight okay and then they leave for kuppam and when they reach kuppam it is the 23rd of february as swami had told them she runs straight and falls at swami's feet because the pain is unbearable and she has been suffering her eyes are still swollen and red swami instantly blesses her and materializes vibhuti which she says had the iodoform smell you know mm-hmm. that medicinal smell it had and swami applies it on her eyelids and then gives her a few jasmine flowers okay. and tells her to place them on her eyes for a few hours by the end of that day all the swelling is subsided the eye is back to its white color the tears have stopped Very and she is cured <laughs> she the way she narrates it's so beautiful because she says that she's been having that pain for a few days mm-hmm. and when she comes and touches swami's feet the pain vanishes first correct the swelling is still there and as you said you know swami gives those jasmine flowers with the instruction that tie it around your eye and don't take it off till you reach madras ha huh. so all through that train journey she is having that uh, jasmine flowers jasmine Correct. flower you know patched up to her eye and there after reaching the station they remove it and they find that the eye is absolutely normal and her sight is back some of the jasmine flower seems to be swami's favorite right if i remember right even when the current warden of the brindavan hostel mm-hmm. when he had his Uh, acid fall in his eyes did swami give him also a jasmine flower sometime no, no was, was it only vibhuti because i remember reading in i think the book saiba a man of miracles by howard murphett some other person also who had a problem in the eyes and uh, i forget what is the problem now whether it was an infection or whether it was a swelling but swami gives a bandage in which he places jasmine flowers and tells him to tie the bandage around his eyes for a few hours after which the eyes are fine so for some reason just like lord krishna picked the flute it looks like when it comes to eye problems swami has some kind of liking towards the jasmine flowers you know, even as you say this and you mentioned ravik master i'm just reminded of something which he said when when they were students hmm there were a certain a few boys who felt that they were very short okay and you know that was something which was always in them that they're not as tall as the other boys hmm So one day uh, when Swami had come to the hostel I think when they were Swami was with the boys Swami asked who were all the short boys in the class hmm. So when all these boys came forward Swami materialized a small a peda kind of a sweet okay you know, a milk sweet a burfi sweet huh. okay and Swami gave it to the warden and Swami said every day mix a bit of this in milk hot milk and give it to these boys So they'll grow tall. Yeah. <laughs> and was Ravi Kumar sir one among those recipients? Yes, he was one of those. And he said after about a week, all of them grew at least one or two inches. 
Oh, it's amazing because when we see Ravi Kumar sir today, he's still on the slightly shorter side. Right. But it's amazing. <laughs> but you know, I mean, what strikes me is it doesn't matter what Swami gives, and you know, the what, what is the remedy which Swami is suggesting? Because he's mad, he's already desired to give the cure. Okay. And I think it's just a matter of, as we have said before, so that it can give people like us joy to narrate and listen to such things. <laughs> That's why he does it in different many ways. And you know, having. the chance to receive that sweet which swami materialized i'm sure all those boys whom you said were feeling bad that they are short would have felt thrilled and counted their being short as a blessing in itself and that is what the lord's touch does right prem in the sense when the lord touches us everything anything even an apparent disadvantage becomes a blessing and that is the alchemist's touch the magical touch of the lord definitely i mean and as students we've always seen it the shorter ones the tallest ones the, the fattest ones, ones <laughs> all get noticed so very easily <laughs> yeah i remember i used to also feel how good if i had been fat you know because swami would instantly spot and call out a pakoda a bonda you know or if you're tall a coconut tree giraffe you know all those whom we normally considered as abnormal were blessed <laughs> so in fact the normal ones like us would often pine to become abnormal in some way so that we get recognition from the lord rightly as you said you know we were speaking last week about um, the wedding at kuppam this marriage at kuppam concluded after that came another marriage and this was possibly i think it's confirmed that this is the first ever marriage that swami performed in puttaparthi okay. in the patamandiram and this was between the daughter of narayan sharma that is shanta and ps krishnamurthy who was the brother to the karnam kamalamma the second wife, second of, the wife karnam. of the karnam you know we uh, spoke of how karnam kamalamma and karnam subamma together donated the land for the patamandiram in right. 1945 now this is 1948 3 years down the line we also spoke about how the number of people coming to swami increased and the first visitors were from bangalore and one of the first few visitors that we spoke about in that satsang was karanam kamalamma's brother ps krishnamurthy right. who came from bangalore along with the hosts his hosts at bangalore he used to stay with somebody else and that happened to be narayan sharma right narayan sharma's wife and his daughter shanta oh, okay is it the same person whom you mentioned that swami said that he's going to die uh... soon or something like that yes yes you know in fact this narayan sharma that we are speaking about it's a recap and i don't mind recapping it so wonderful this narayan sharma when he came to know about his wife's and daughter's devotion towards swami he did not like it because he did not want to come okay. in fact when uh, ps krishnamurthy that is karanam kamalamma's brother mm-hmm. when he first came to puttaparthi he came only along with narayan sharma's wife and his daughter shanta okay and when he had come swami had told them that don't worry your husband will also be coming soon which they did not believe which the mother and daughter did not believe because they knew that this seemed uh, likely yeah he is an atheist and he doesn't believe in all these babas and stuff but apparently within a few days he arrives mm-hmm. narayan sharma arrives and swami takes a walk along with him only with narayan sharma and takes him to chitravati tells him to look into the waters of chitravati and when he looks into the water he is simply stunned because he sees the dashavatar matsya kurma varaha narahari all the 10 avatars of lord vishnu and finally when it comes to kalki he sees the man on the horse having a halo of hair 
and he sees swami there and he is stunned and he falls unconscious almost with that vision and that is when he immediately turns after that and falls at swami's feet and accepts him as his lord mm-hmm. and swami tells him at that time that you do not have lot of life left because of which he says that then i want to spend as much as possible with you swami and then swami promises him that i will take care of your daughter shanta like my own daughter mm-hmm. that is a promise swami gives and that is the promise that swami upheld when he performed the marriage of shanta imagine swami was just a boy of 17 when he gave the promise at the age of 14 swami took up the promise of fathering the whole world so what is one girl there so when he was 17 he had given this promise you know interestingly whenever after that when this krishna murti that is the brother of karanam kamalamma used to visit parthi along with his hosts swami would always tease him husband and wife have come husband and wife have come referring to krishna murti and shanta and finally in 1948 swami blessed both these to get married i mean shanta with krishna murti i think at that time shanta was about 15 years of age krishna murti was in his early 20s and so that was the first wedding that swami performed in 1948 i think that was on the 4th of march 1948 okay it's really interesting especially the reference that you made to a 17 year old person trying to tell somebody that i'm going to take care of your family after you i really wonder what kind of a feeling that would have left him with and you know swami is looking so tender you have no idea what swami is you know now when we look back we say that swami said it and of course you know swami kept his word but then to receive a word like this from somebody who is just a mere teenager who is almost your ch- child's age exactly <laughs> in fact swami also you know before telling that narayan sharma would not be living for a long time after this he had in fact told his wife that you know you will not have any more children mm-hmm. she must have wondered at that time it is natural because her husband is going to pass away but swami told her that you always sought a son right you can treat me as your son <laughs> swami gave her that promise imagine he is promised to be the father of her daughter but he has promised to be a son to her mm-hmm. and only the lord can do this be a son be a daughter be a mother <laughs> you know how many of us have called swami as mother sai how many have treated him as a father because god is everything god can be everything and only god can be everything and as you rightly said it would have been quite amazing for narayan sharma right. but he accepted it reading about the kupam family uh-huh. we spoke about uh, one of vijay kumari's brothers who accompany swami to kupam you know <laughs> swami runs away behind the deers and the peacocks mm-hmm. you know he was telling when they first came to swami and this person mr krishna kumar i think if he, i'm not wrong right he yeah yeah the, yes krishna is, kumar so he says when he ram comes, kumar and krishna kumar right swami used to call one uh, boy murti and the other amba so this krishna kumar was the person whom swami used to call murti interestingly swami said krishna kumar such a big name i have only two alphabets sai baba it seems <laughs> so i'm going to call you murti that's what swami said you know he was telling when they first came to parthi and uh, swami was standing at the gates or whatever the you know in the banks of chitrati waiting for this whole retinue which is coming from kupam for the first time when he saw swami for the first time you know the first thought which came across him is if this boy itself is so attractive and so beautiful how will the guru who is the master of this ashram be oh he thought that <laughs> he thought that swami was Some the disciple. disciple of the elderly and old sage like guru who must be the person running the ashram 
you know and i mean just got reminded of that when you said 17 year old boy who's giving this assurance that i'll take care of your family that was how the wedding of shanta and krishnamurti was performed you remember we spoke about how uh, during dasara swami would deck himself with different ornaments like the devi right. the devotees would give their jewelry and yes to swami and and some of the devotees even left some of the jewelry with swami telling that this is for swami and mm-hmm. one swami has won it how can you know how can we mere mortals wear it so they considered it as their honor to give it to swami some of that jewelry swami gave to the bride to wear okay and then he materialized a mangal sutra after that how many weddings swami has performed and how many times swami has materialized mangal sutra so here also this was probably the first ever recorded not probably definitely the first ever recorded instance where swami materialized the mangal sutra for a wedding that he was performing and that was how the wedding was performed it gives rise to one more thought you know 4 5 years ago in the 1944 when people from bangalore first came you know so as i said swami used to joke saying that uh, husband wife husband have come husband right. it all appeared like a joke back then but you know no word of the lord is in jest nothing is ever a joke because as they say every word is a veda in itself so that gives again a reinforcement for all of us that every word of the lord is so powerful is so po- full of meaning though we may not understand it at this time let us not take anything as a joke or as just a casual remark because as our former controller of examinations professor nanjundaya garu put it mm-hmm. if swami tells you something seriously pay attention if he says something casually note it down and forever enshrine it in your heart because <laughs> most of the most significant things swami has just made it as passing remarks and they have turned out to be true so well that was the marriage that took place and after that as i said many marriages swami has performed another marriage probably the second one was of a person by name chinna babaya mm-hmm. and you know chinna babaya was supposed to get married to a woman whom he felt was dark and not up to his standard you know in fairness he was very mm-hmm. fair and handsome and she was not swami chastised him and told him that that was not right it is not the color of the skin that matters and told them that they would be the perfect couple and that is how he agreed to marry that girl mm-hmm. and swami performed that wedding but the relatives of this chinna babaya they could not stand the fact that somebody in their family was getting married not by a brahmin priest but by some bhatraju again you know the caste of swami came into question and they were horrified when they saw the groom fall at the feet of swami mm-hmm. somebody younger than him he's falling at and somebody was of a lower caste so they were just shocked they left in a huff and in fact 10 days later they were returning they had come with an kind of you know evil plan they had brought along with them sackfuls of leaves of a particular plant which causes a terrible itching sensation if it touches your skin okay their plan was they will dump all these leaves onto swami and if he's got nothing should affect him mm-hmm. but their plan got disrupted because on the way suddenly their cart upturned and all the leaves fell off luckily nothing on them and they were blown away by the wind and but they received some slight injuries and when they came to puttaparthi swami meets them greets them makes them comfortable gets food served to all of them very lovingly takes care of them and then says i heard he says i heard that your cart had upturned 
you must have lost everything that you brought to offer to me right he said it in such a positive light that all of them were shamed into silence and they actually fell at his feet and as chinna babaya reveals in the interview that after that day all of them began to accept swami as the lord and they were very repentant for what they had planned you know again it goes to show that if you plan to give something positive to the lord you get back something positive plan to give something negative to the lord you get back something negative right i think uh, this can also be enlarged to entire life also you know what swami says is what what you send forth comes back to you that's something which swami has always told us and i mean i think we've had satsangs about this before where what you think reflects back to you and what it always comes back it always comes around what goes around comes around right well another interesting episode of this period we cannot say it as an episode because many people have reported this you know was when swami would go to chitravati he would often point to the kalpavriksha tree at the top of the hillock which was at the border of the river chitravati about 200 300 yards away from the actual river and swami would say look up there and the minute they look up suddenly swami is not there by their side he has vanished and they start walking and he is already sitting on top of the tree and on many occasions swami granted some of the most phenomenal experiences to these devotees one such episode has been recorded in the product the sai blossom product called the advent and i think prem we should better play the audio directly from that beautiful video product yeah definitely in fact this is a narration of mrs vijay kumari the author of anitha sharnam nasti because she was a witness and in fact we've heard some of these incidents even from professor jayalakshmi gopinath okay Our, the uh, former warden of warden and uh, principal of anantapur campus because she was also a part of some of these groups which were taken to chitravati and given these beautiful visions so we listen to that particular clip from the advent One day in 1947 we went with Swami to the Chitravati river All of a sudden he disappeared from our midst We then heard his voice which said I am here on the hill and I'm going to now show you all Surya darshan the vision of God as sun We began to wonder it is past 6 in the evening and the sun has already set And now Swami is saying he would show us the sun That was when we began to laugh. Just then we began to see a pink light behind Swami. Quickly pink turned into red and we began to feel very hot. The heat made us sweat profusely and was unbearable. At the same time the scene we saw was beautiful indeed beyond description. Finding the heat unbearable, we loudly complained, "Swami, it is too hot." He replied, "Is that so?" And then slowly the heat began to decrease. When Swami suddenly announced, "I am now going to show you the moon." Even as he uttered those words, the sky behind him gradually began to turn silvery white. and the air started to cool rapidly soon we began to feel very cold and started shivering 
Our teeth began to chatter and we screamed, Swami, it is too cold. Taking pity on us, Swami made the chill disappear. After which he said, I am now going to show all of you the third eye. Watch carefully and don't look here and there. As we stood there watching his full form, we suddenly saw only his face, huge in size, filling the entire sky. Even as we were watching all this with awe and wonder, an orifice appeared in between his eyebrows, from which flew giant sparks and huge flames. Instead of being lost to this extraordinary spectacle of divine glory, we now became very worried and anxious as we could see only Swami's face. We began to wonder what has happened to Swami's body? Have the flames harmed Swami? That was the thought uppermost in our minds. Meanwhile many people fell down and some even fainted, but I did not realize it then. Suddenly, in a flash, the entire spectacle came to an abrupt end. The sky was back to normal as if nothing had ever happened, while Swami was with us on the Chitravati sands. He then asked why some people had fallen down. We said that we did not know the reason. Swami then created sacred ash or vibhuti and applied it to everyone's forehead. Having done that, he said, come on, let us return to the mandir. We started walking back, but most of us were quite unsteady and wobbling. Back in the mandir, with much love, Swami said, Today I have granted you the blessing of Trinetra Darshan, the vision of the third eye for which you all have been pining in many previous births. What I have shown you is not even one thousandth of the full glory. And what little I showed made many of you to fall down, unable to bear the power of that sight. That was when some kind of normalcy started returning amongst us. You know, there are many, many such accounts and narratives where Swami performed miracles which are variants of the one that we just heard. Where Swami has given darshan as different forms of the Lord, where Swami has given darshan as brilliant ball of light of different colors. Some say it was yellow, some red, some say blue. So, different variants of this and there are many such recorded instances, recorded in the sense in diaries of people and people's books and in invariably in all of them we find this happening that people are unable to contain either their awe or their joy or their fear or whatever it is and they collapse unconscious. I remember one of our teachers making a reference saying that you know the light bulb if it's a uh, say a 40 watt bulb in that if you pass a high surge of electricity the bulb will burst. The filament in the bulb must be strong enough to bear the current that is going to pass through and that is how it is even with Swami. 
the current of joy that he is capable of giving is so tremendously large what we have to question is are we capable are we capable enough filaments to be able to contain that surge of great joy that he has the capacity to give because he is the generator after all you know one devotee was once sharing with us when uh, we met him here in prashantnilayam mm-hmm. he used to come in the 60s and that one particular trip when he had come <coughs> swami had sent word that nobody should sleep in the open okay he said everybody should sleep only in their rooms for some reason mm-hmm. so this person too was given a room when he landed quite late in the evening but since <coughs> it was a little warmer in those days he thought that i'll go out and sleep in my car you know so then people told him that see swami has specifically advised that nobody should sleep in the open so he waited till quite late in the night when nobody was around so he could slip and go in sleep in his car he said around 1 o'clock he was woken up by some huge uh, ball of light which was coming from uh, the eastern corner you know in the ashram not from the skies or something so he was wondering what it is and he said when he got up he saw a huge figure which is maybe to a height of a two storied building and when he looked carefully it was actually a white horse on which swami was sitting and he was coming around the ashram oh oh there was a vision that he had and just like it happened to all these people he passed out after that and okay and the next morning swami came and chastised him i sent word that nobody should sleep in the open <laughs> so of course he said that many times after that he tried sleeping in the open after it but never had that never had that shit again <laughs> you know we see that swami himself has said that the first 16 years of years of his life will be leela and the next 16 mahima so though swami continue to do the things even later on most of these you know phenomenal shocking awe inspiring kind of miracles appeared to have occurred before swami turned 32 years in the physical frame after that it continued but not in such a large quantity right even say. even if you look at swami's transcorporeal journeys you know mm-hmm. it even happens today but i think in those years as you said till the 30 years of swami's uh, you know life swami wanted people to notice it that's why swami would even physically in his presence he would pass out and he would go into a trance for 3 hours 4 hours and people would say that vibhuti had come out of swami's toe or you know mm. vibhuti had come out of swami's forehead i think swami was doing it giving the devotees around him an opportunity to realize that he yes, was i think that is the right way to put it time. rather than say that he did it more often then and less now he gave blessing to humanity in such a manner that it would be recognized and seen more often then than now now also one or two when they surface such miracles we are so thrilled but yes so he knows what is the best reason for that and that's why Uh, the phases of his life have been divided thus and those were the days when he would give the devotees the opportunity and chance to see such things right now coming back to 1948 we spoke about uh, the sandur royal family which yes, was beginning in january to, right beginning to get drawn to swami and the queen first comes and meets swami when swami was staying in bangalore hmm. and swami invites both of them to uh, puttaparthi so i think just around the time when the king and the queen were planning a visit to prashantnilayam suddenly the sandur king is called to delhi you know we've spoken about the situation then where the all Mujit, the kingdoms are being annexed yeah, into the right, indian into the indian uh, country which was just formed so he was suddenly called to delhi and he had to rush and they couldn't make that trip to parthi in the beginning of february in the beginning of february and that's when the queen sends word to swami 
thinking that it would be impolite not to let Swami know that they're not coming. Mm-hmm. So she sends a letter with a person saying that you go and directly hand it to Swami. And this person is traveling all the way from Bangalore to Puttaparthi. Mm-hmm. And when the bus in which this man is traveling is at Bukapatnam, suddenly the bus is stopped and everybody in the bus start talking, you know, what happened, why is the bus stopped? Mm-hmm. Then he hears that people are telling that this is Sai Baba who is coming in the car who has stopped this bus. So when everybody okay. look out and they're wondering why Swami has stopped the bus, he sends word to the conductor of the bus saying that there is one person uh, carrying a letter from the Sandur Rani. Mm. He's traveling in this bus. Mm-hmm. Swami is asking for him. Oh. In this okay. man was sitting there, how did Swami come to know? I mean, he realized that Swami was actually leaving Parthi. He was going to Madras mm-hmm. on a trip. Mm-hmm. And midway, Swami had intercepted this bus so that he could you know, call this man. And even before he could give the letter, Swami told this man that, tell the queen it's okay. She can come whenever she finds time. Wow. You know, that's one incident which happens. And after that, I think uh, a few months later, sometime in April, May, if I'm not wrong. I think in March, March okay. itself, the Rani is able to uh, visit. Visit. You know, what happens is uh, the Rani also, though she is having a greater tendency towards believing in Swami and becoming a devotee, she is also pulled because she had been a devotee of Shirdi Sai Baba. And even before that, she had a guru by name Hiralal Maharaj. Mm-hmm. And uh, she felt like, you know, she's changing her gurus and gods and she was not comfortable with that, though she was drawn to Swami. And that is when in Sandur, though she is not able to come to Puttaparthi and the Raja has gone to Delhi. When the Raja returns from Delhi, the Rani gets a dream in which she sees all, that is all her gurus, that is Hiralal Maharaj, Shirdi Sai and this latest, that is Satisai, in a dream all becoming one and all of them give her the same message that we are all the same, we are the one and the same. And she is very mightily impressed by the dream. She wakes up and shares it with her husband. But her husband is again an atheist. So he is not much impressed by this dream. But nevertheless, as a king, a promise has been made on behalf of him also that we will be visiting. So he also agrees to visit the Sai Baba of Puttaparthi. And that is how, you know, 1948 was a leap year. So on the 29th of February, The Rani and the Raja, they visit Puttaparthi. Okay. And when they visit Puttaparthi, the incident goes that they visit Puttaparthi even without informing. You know, exactly. the king decides this time not to let Swami know. And maybe he thought that let's see if you know, Swami is prepared to receive them. And they're surprised because even as they come near the bank of Chitravati, they find that Swami is standing there waiting to receive the whole party. With the welcome party. Exactly. And that impresses the king. Right. Correct. And when you, they go to the ashram, they find that Swami has made all arrangements. For know, their stay. For their exactly. stay. Exactly. Thanks Prem. And that is what actually impresses the king. Right. Impresses the king with, wow, how did he know? How did he know? Because we purposely made it a point not to let him know right. that we are coming. <laughs> Imagine trying to make efforts not to let God know of something. <laughs> and surprising that they didn't, you know, understand that this test was not needed after Swami, what he did to that messenger, intercepting that bus in Bukapadnam and, you know, letting him know that he already knew. Yes, that's right. But I think, Prem, this is a problem that all of us face. You know, we have all experienced in our own way, Swami's divinity, Swami's omnipresence, Swami's omniscience. And yet, when it comes to, as they say, the breaking point or the crunch time when you need to hold on to your faith at such points 
we ourselves get you know confounded with doubts and we start shaking maybe a bit the faith all seems to vanish it somehow happens and that is what swami calls as the maya and so i think that is a lesson for all of us also in spite of having seen what who swami is what he is we still forget who he is and talk about him as a reformer or as a great person or as a normal human being i think that is as you said it's a warning for us to keep remembering who swami is and that in itself is a great sadhana so yes when they meet swami swami materializes a locket for the rani and for the raja right and now the rani the queen you know she believes in swami look at this she believes in swami she is accepted swami she is thrilled and her dream you know has only reinforced the fact for her that all her masters are one and the same and she gets a locket on which there is lord krishna you know a safe bet because i feel 99.99% of the hindus believe in lord krishna they have no problems in accepting krishna as the lord she gets it and the king you know who is still he's impressed he has respect and regard for swami because he sees how much swami has taken care to arrange make arrangements for them not knowing anything about their visit also so he has great regard for swami but he doesn't take swami to be the lord and god or his guru or anything and for him swami materializes a locket locket in which there is both shirdi sai and swami's own bust the raja accepts it reverentially because swami is giving it and with that swami also assures the king telling him that i know these are tough times for your kingdom but don't worry everything will work out fine and it is with this assurance that swami sends back the king and the queen right. back to sandur but another interesting thing which swami gives them is one day i think uh, swami calls the queen and uh, ha this incident prem happens later in february they return back to sandur okay. and in march uh, the rani alone this time okay. along with her in-laws because right. last time uh, the rani and raja have come naturally they would have gone back and the rani would have told the stories to her in-laws and now the in-laws that is the raja's parents are interested are curious about swami and so the in-laws and the rani in march they visit puttaparthi okay okay i think one day swami calls the queen and tells her that he wants to give her something mm mm-hmm. and as the tradition those days you know women they don't receive anything from uh, divine personages with a hand so mm. she puts out the pallu of her sari you know that's how you receive a gift mm. from elders and from uh, divine people so she puts out her pallu and swami says no no show your hand okay so when she puts out a hand swami puts something in her hand and closes her hand mm. and when swami does that she feels a shock running through her body and mm. she realizes that swami has given her something very very powerful you know shock vibration goes through her entire body and when she opens her hand she finds in it a small idol of subramanya and subramanya happens to be the family deity of the sandur royal family wow you know and that's one very strong gift which swami gives during that visit as you corrected me yes and uh, this electrifying experience is something that the rani is just unable to forget and you know when it comes to people and their faith in swami i feel that once you experience now once you have had an experience with swami yes of course as i said in times of distress and trouble maya makes us forget and makes us shake in our faith but nobody can take away from us the faith that swami is the lord swami is our god because you have personally experienced it how do you explain it so after this experience the rani is convinced she is so thrilled and as you said 
adding to the fact was the idol of lord subramanya which happens to be the family deity of the rani and so it's with great thrill you know that after this visit in march in fact i think the rani makes two visits in mm-hmm. march which is quite a distance from sandur in karnataka to puttaparthi in andhra pradesh it was quite a distance but she makes two visits in march and she's so thrilled by it and this actually sets the ball rolling for what we shall see later on as swami's visit to the kingdom of sandur but in the meanwhile you know this was in march and april and in may swami makes a visit to madikeri or kurg mm-hmm. the hill station district in karnataka and it's a fact that it is so hilly this district of kurg that it is the only district in karnataka without the railways you okay. can't have railway tracks running up and down the hill so it's connected only by road and air mm-hmm. there are no railway tracks in this district and swami visited the district of kurg and kurg district also happens to be the place where our shrimati sakamma right. has her coffee estates coffee estates so swami took some time out to visit her coffee estates and he also visited the famous shiva samudram falls mm-hmm. during this visit and that was about may i think it a perfect time to when in the peak of summer you go to a hill station and and bless the devotees there so that is what happened in may and then we come to june you know june is again very significant because this was the time when swami visited the kingdom of sandur right but before that you know there are some diary entries by different people and there's one leela rao mm-hmm. there's one leela rao who has recorded in detail what happened on a day to day basis in the may and june of 1948 and reading her diary entries one is very impressed prem you know we have often spoke about how swami was so close and swami was so intimate swami was so different he was so much human like rather than being god like but reading her diary entries one doesn't get that impression at all you know the feeling that she says my lord told me to do this my lord came for darshan today i had darshan after i had my bath today i was so blessed because i had darshan even before my bath the kind of feelings that a devotee say in 1980s or 1990s would exude those were the feelings she exuded even in 1948 when we all think that you know swami was just like one among the others because the crowd there was hardly 100 200 people but even back then her diary entries show this isn't it so amazing that you know in the later years maybe devotees or said swami looked in our direction ha huh. but you know the reverence was the same as you pointed out because she writes there that swami came and stood on my hold all today mm. swami came and sat on my bedding mm. and you know today I, i was lucky to have darshan of swami even before going for bath as you, you know, pointed out because the reverence was the same you know the incidents which gave them happiness with difference because of the proximity and because of the small crowd but the way they looked at swami and you know the joy which they felt swami asked us to sing today it was not a casual approach as one might imagine that you know the proximity gave them correct and you know if you read some more entries you can easily identify i'll tell you one prem i'm sure you'll be able to identify with it like she arranges next to her bedding a special seat and places a brand new sari on it hoping that swami will come and sit on it and waiting for the day when swami will come and sit she watches when swami goes and sits on the others and she is waiting for her turn i mean is it not similar situation what we faced when we held out trays to swami or a photograph for him to bless or a letter for him to take it's so similar right i mean waiting for the lord to come and bless in fact she records one or two very interesting episodes 
I mean, I don't know the significance as such, but it's so beautiful. She says one day, Swami came and picked up a book, and Swami leafed through it and said, and said, "Oh my God, this is a German dictionary, and it was indeed a dictionary from English to German." Okay. Fantastic, right? I mean, 1948, a German dictionary had found its way to uh, Puttaparthi, <laughs> which means definitely somebody of German origin or somebody who knew German, wanting to know German, was here in Parthi. And another day, you know, Swami opens a packet of the provisions, puts something in his mouth, and says, "Hmm, this is sugar." <laughs> so sweet, small, small incidents. And you know, Swami would spend time going around, finding out somebody was sick there, giving some medicines. And um, on another day, he would go pick up a newspaper that had arrived, look at some of the topics there, and start discussing about that. And one one thing which he narrates is when Swami would sit, and everybody would sit around. Swami would talk about his visits. to different places to different yes. places to bangalore to, to karur where right. he gave his first discourse yes swami would relive that swami would tell stories swami would sing songs in fact she records that uh, one famous song is there you know ramanannu brovara right swami modified it into a new song uh, which was baba nannu brovara which happens to be uh, the favorite of leela rao and baba nannu brovara is like a plea to swami telling him to inquire from me or talk to me that is a kind of a song these are very beautiful things you know because when we say that swami spoke to them about their travels swami spoke to them about what he did mm-hmm. you know this was something which swami used to do till the very end because i remember as students when we would sit in the bhajan hall swami would come and talk to us about the water project mm-hmm. the improvements which are being made i remember the godavari water project mm-hmm. we first heard it from swami we had no clue that swami was doing a water project in godavari one day in the morning swami came in the bhajan hall and he started speaking about the project and that's when we realized that oh swami is taken up a project like this you know it was a way by which swami related to devotees around you know made them feel that they are part you know, of his family you are my family because he would share with them what is happening in his life you know if you could put it that way really you know <laughs> my brother amay he says about one amazing thing when swami called him and his mother for an interview Swami started talking to them about the then project, which was the Anantpur Water Project, mm-hmm. and Swami went into great detail explaining all this to them. And Amai said that he was wondering why is Swami telling all this to us? I mean, we have no as such involvement. There is no benefit that the project will get or Swami will get out of telling this to us. But one thing he says is we definitely felt so close and intimate to Swami because. what is important to him he is sharing with us which makes us feel that we are also so important to him i think it's a very beautiful message that swami is giving us that if we want to feel close to swami that's what we have to do with swami some of these devotees have this beautiful uh, way of interacting with swami where they talk to swami all that is happening in their life and yes. you know, every single thing which is happening in their professional life in their personal life they just speak it to swami and i think that's a very beautiful way of you know relating to swami i also remember a very common um, kind of message that we see in many sai devotee homes mm-hmm. um, it says that baba is the head of this house a silent listener of every conversation an unseen guest at every meal, meal. right you no know, it is so beautiful because swami himself encouraged us towards this the way he interacted the when we read these diary entries of Leela Rao, we see that the way he interacted, the way he spent time, yes, nothing was mundane for him. Anything that is important to the devotees was important to him also, and that holds good even today. So, as you said, this is a beautiful sadhana or a way of being 
in touch with swami that we can communicate with him talk to him about our happinesses our joys our sorrows and definitely he is listening and he will respond to us in the most beautiful way and each of those responses will be experiences in themselves you know one of the uh, things which swami tells about devotee is you know imagine that you have a phone connection to god hmm. and you're ringing it every day that's your prayer you know you're trying to connect to that and for a long you'll hear the ringtone but nobody will pick up but don't give up keep trying because one day you'll see that somebody on the other end will pick up and say i love you too that's yeah. the message which sami gave it's a beautiful thing where sami saying that never give up because one day he's going to pick up and say i mean i know that you're calling you know imagine when you say never give up this uh, leela rao records that she had a great desire that she along with her mother they wanted to perform pad puja for swami the elaborate ritual where you know the, you applied turmeric and sandal paste to swami's feet right. he puts his feet on a white cloth and the footprints are made and they you know they worship swami's feet with water which is later taken as teertham right with flowers and other things swami refuses actually you know swami says no and she feels very bad in fact she goes to record that also in her diary my lord refused my worship today it's not that daily she gets to do it in during that whole trip of one and a half months the one chance she sought i mean can you imagine it was difficult it is not as if that anybody who want to do pad puja could do it was just like an interview nothing changed <laughs> in fact i remember one of i think it was your classmates um his name was venu gopal right when um, he once told swami he said swami access to you has reduced so much you know mm-hmm. when swami went into the car he said before we had so much access today we don't have access swami he said replied to him that access nobody ever had access was always given and even today those who need the access are being given the access so it is not as if in the olden days whoever came got a chance and therefore those of us who have come in late have missed mm-hmm. no it is not like that nothing can ever be missed with swami whatever swami has to give definitely he'll give it to us and whatever we cannot receive we are not receiving so there's nothing to feel bad about feel sad about or feel extra proud about that i received more than the other person everything is just his grace and that is what leela rao you know realized because swami refused that pad puja and when swami refused that pad puja she felt oh god what is this happening and she noted it down in her diary <laughs> can you believe it swami comes to her and tells what are you writing and she says i am writing my diary swami swami tells her you don't worry i will come to you in pune visit you in pune pune was the place where she was from so she said swami where swami you simply tell so many things but you don't do then swami said what do you mean that day when you were coming in the bus the bus got spoiled you had to get down and then you had no way suddenly a horse cart pulled up and you got into it you remember and swami starts narrating so many things mm-hmm. and she is just shocked i mean this is not there anywhere recorded nowhere in her diary or nothing it's just in her distant memory swami tells all this and says i know all this is happening i am there with you always right so when i am saying that i am in pune i am in pune <laughs> and then you know she protests like any of us do later on she says no no swami not like this you should not come to pune like this since <laughs> we don't want swami in the omnipresent form we want swami i want you to come it's not fair this way swami that time changes the topic he changes of the topic and that he is an expert at doing you know when he doesn't want to physically do something he changes the topic and later on he allows the family to do pad puja also so she does pad puja she is so thrilled she has just received this experience of swami's omnipresence and omniscience and in fact in her diary she notes down that day 
as the happiest day of her life <laughs> so yeah that was beautiful going through her diary entries uh, dear listeners we'll be back and when we are back we will discuss about how swami visited the kingdom of sandur and some amazing happenings there so don't go away anywhere here we'll be back after this short break till then just enjoy the song
that song was about swami and shirdi baba and that was a connection which brought this family the sandur royal family to swami and few other families which we're going to talk about later but talking about this sandur queen and king we spoke of how they came to swami first and then came the visit of swami to the sandur palace you no know, swami was invited and swami accepted the invitation june 17th swami visits the sandur palace and as soon as he enters he's given the royal reception the padapuja is performed for swami and swami is called inside i think it's a new palace right from the description which is given it looks like it's a new palace which the king and queen are going into and swami is invited mm-hmm. because after going there swami actually asks for the uh, the pictures which were worshiped in the old palace to be come and the new puja room is installed and swami blesses it mm-hmm. that's one of the things which swami does there and swami asks for the throne of the king to be brought to the palace correct to the new palace and in fact uh, the king invites swami to sit on the throne and you know bless it and swami sits on the throne i think that is a marked uh, change that starts coming in right. along with sitting on the throne of the palace swami also seats himself in the heart of the maharaja exactly. yashwantrao ghorpade that we discussed because after that the raja starts you know somehow believing and having faith in swami and one of the standout incidents which happened in that uh, sandur visit was one day it seems swami was in the terrace when swami calls the uh, the queen and swami again says that i want to give you something and again she puts out a sari and you know, to receive the gift and swami says that no no the sari is not good enough get a thick towel okay okay that's what swami says so they go around and bring a thick turkish towel well, last time it was stretch out your hand right. this time it is this a towel swami saying no this cloth is not enough you bring a towel wondering what is swami saying get a towel hmm. so then swami materializes a 7 inch statue and puts it on the towel and when she receives it she finds that it's actually so hot you know if a statue is just made and mold uh, from molten uh, metal it is removed from the mold it's like mm. that it's hot and she's wondering how did swami even hold it in his hand before giving it and it's a beautiful statue of you know uh, lord krishna standing and uh, that again is she says that it's a very strong vibration she receives from that statue and the next morning i think swami installs that statue in the puja room and performs puja the first puja and i think for many many years after that the family continues to worship that statue and that was in june in july the kingdom of sandur was annexed into the indian country into the nation at this time you know swami gave a very uh, significant piece of advice to the raja he told him to invest and actually start a manganese industry he told him that there are good uh, manganese mines and ores available in the kingdom so the king should start this manganese industry by the fact that he's a king he had no problems in terms of finances starting a new business wouldn't have been wouldn't, wouldn't have been a problem he later on this business was what sustained the whole family in fact to this day to this day the uh, sandur manganese and iron ores it's a public uh, company that is listed and uh, almost 70% of the 75% of the shares are owned by the family even to this day and in fact, fact later that i read town sandur is named by i mean is known because of that manganese uh, industry exactly even if you google sandur one of the first things not one of the first things many of the first things that throw up are about sandur manganese and sandur iron ores 
it's not only a manganese ore now even iron ores have been found and in fact the latest that i read on google was jindal jindal is one of the right. largest the power industry yes power and iron industry. steel steel industry jindal steel in india and it's it's has a presence across the globe and jindal is planning to buy iron and iron ore especially from the sandur manganese and iron ores company because they are finding it tough and it's di- more difficult to get it from the government owned ores uh, mines i mean and therefore the company was planning to make some kind of investment into sandur manganese and iron ores which means even to this day which is almost say uh, 65 years after swami told the maharaja to start the manganese industry it is doing very well and well i just feel that is what swami does even symbolically in our lives he puts us in touch where we can mine out what is most valuable in us which will stand by us in good stead throughout life and interestingly you know when we spoke about that subramanya statue when swami gave one mm-hmm. of the things which swami told the queen is that this will help you when you go to delhi and okay. you know she was very surprised to hear that from swami but you know when you see that actually their kingdom was becoming a part of delhi right now you know in a sense maybe that's what swami meant that was one of the things which swami was constantly talking to the king about when he went visited to sandur asking him to stay calm through the whole process and guiding him in fact initially the king was quite apprehensive about starting this manganese thing because it was a step down for them you know though we are looking at it as a manganese factory from rulers they are becoming business people right but you know as you pointed out it's it turned out to be one of the life saving decisions is they made in the end there have been many instances even you know i remember professor anil kumar who was swami's translator he also had to you know in a kind step down he was the principal and from principal he swami told him to become a lecturer which doesn't make logic because a principal post is much higher compared to the post of a lecturer but if you ask anil kumar sir he will tell with with great joy that that was a step that brought him so much closer to god and so much closer to what he treasured in his heart and after that he became swami's translator and so many amazing things followed i think everybody so, you know even our professor nanjundia sir has actually came to swami like that when he was about to become the professor he came and joined as a lecturer hmm. and mr habu who was our first principal he was the head of the department in the university there and he came and became a school teacher here yeah but history will not record this as step downs anyway i think in that way in that way you know swami knows what you know we need both we need a step up transformer as well as a step down transformer for a proper transmission of electricity right so too i think for the transmission of this divine joy swami has to act as both depending on the situation sometimes a step up sometime a step down but what we have to keep in mind that he is always the transformer bringing about a transformation in our lives <laughs> that's well put and you know going back to this uh, visit to sandur mm. another interesting event happened most of these kings they used to have their own armies and their their own security and all that mm. so the king had a muslim ad camp you know mm. that's like the head of personal security to even today we have the ad camp to the uh, president prime minister and, and the prime minister hmm. so he was the ad camp to the king of sandur a person by name captain jabbar sahib who hmm. happened to be a muslim okay and understandably he would have been a little uncomfortable with this whole family running around this 
young boy who's you know treated like some uh, a teenage sai baba right a divine mm. guest so he was very uncomfortable and you know even in those days swami started giving personal interviews to visitors to the sandur palace and, and the rest of the family so one day swami called this jabbar sahib for an interview swami called him for a personal interview and i think they had an improvised interview room where just a curtain was put across a certain room where swami would call them inside and talk to them so swami calls this jabbar sahib captain and when he comes in and when he's closing the curtains when he turns back he sees that swami is opening his robe and showing him something unbuttoned his robe okay. unbuttoned his robe and just on his chest are written the words in gold allahu akbar in urdu wow allahu akbar in gold and urdu emblazoned again on swami's chest. chest wow and i think that was his moment of reckoning so the moment he sees that he realizes that this is no ordinary saint or sadhu who has come to visit the palace and once he is convinced every other thing that he sees suddenly begins to make sense now you know he sees the every member of the family is eager to take a picture with swami there are many photographs of the royal family of sandur along with swami and swami is on the throne while rest of the family are around swami so i think for captain jabbar saheb after his personal experience with swami all this made sense in fact when he told this to his wife his wife again was hesitant in accepting and jabbar saheb didn't mind that he just left it but after a while even she was curious to meet swami so many attempts were made finally when she met swami swami goes straight to her and materializes a locket for her right that's interesting because you know when swami she goes to swami i think swami is staying in one of the devotees house in bangalore mm-hmm. nobody's introduced her as captain jabbar saheb's uh, wife. wife she's just sitting along with the devotees and swami comes out of that bhajan session which is going goes straight to her materializes a locket gives it to her and comes back and sits and continues with the bhajans and uh, later on she develops a deadly malaria you know malaria was at that time did not have an easy cure right but with swami's grace and blessings and the locket that she closes keeps very close to her heart in every sense you know physically as well as metaphysically her malaria is cured and she completely credits it to swami's grace and blessings and that is how swami wins over the throne in the hearts of captain jabbar saheb and his wife too july 1948 is important for all of us because this was the time when one monarch of literature one literary giant who has been responsible as swami's instruments in starting many things came into proximity of the avatar yes professor narayan kasturi it was in the july of 1948 that he came to swami you know it's very interesting this particular twist with divinity which you are talking about because you know we've mentioned so many characters but as devotees who came much later we have no idea whether these devotees were still coming or did they have important roles to play in the avataric mission but you know kasturi was one person who came way back in 1948 but he is somebody whom we refer to even today exactly and the way he came to swami is also interesting you know in 1947 immediately after india won independence he lost his son and that was a devastating blow in his life he just could not bear that and he was shocked his wife was shocked his mother was also shocked his mother was there was she was also shocked and they just did not know you know as kasturi puts it in his book loving god life seemed to lose all its meaning they didn't know what else is there to live for and he said that the fire that burnt in his heart as he lit the funeral pyre of his son 
is something unimaginable and he thought that that would never be put out that could never be quelled by anybody and that was when a friend of his son mm-hmm. deceased son came to him and said that there is one uh, swami and he told him about satya sai baba and he said he is lord incarnate and he will give you solace and kasturi just shoes him away he gives him three vibhuti packets also which kasturi just throws it off and gives it to somebody else saying that how can you ever quell this fire that is in my heart I have worshiped so many gods those gods have not done anything what is the new sai baba that you are talking about but you know kasturi was a member of the ramkrishna mission and at the ramkrishna mission one of the swami is there i forget his name tells kasturi that don't worry the same god who has caused this grievous wound to you will himself heal this wound for you oh. so he tells him that and uh, he listens to that but he is not very keen on the sai baba at the same time he is unable to ignore the presence of sai baba in his life because one of his uh, erstwhile colleagues also comes to him you know and uh, mr ayer this person he comes to him and talks to him again about so much about swami kasuri is thinking how come that you know in so many ways this sai baba is coming into my life he did not like this sai baba because you know in in kannada which is kasuri's mother tongue sai means go and die that is what you will tell somebody hey hok sai you tell in kannada which means you go and die don't bother me so it's like a abuse so he said that you know what name itself is such an abusive name and he did not want you know basically he writes all this in loving god to show how much of antagonism he had towards this but this mr ayer he was a little short in stature and he says that my name is potty ayer mm-hmm. you know potty means in telugu it means dwarf okay and this was a name that swami used to call him by calling him potty ayer potty ayer and kasuri shocked how can a 60 year old it's very derogatory <laughs> be proud about ha huh, be proud about a derogatory remark that a, a person who is 1/3 your age is making about you and he's proud to be called by that also in fact he insists that everybody calls him potty ayer because that is a name given to him by swami <laughs> so kasuri considers him to be a person who got premature senility <laughs> he just uh, writes him away but then he sees that his daughter you know kasuri sees that his daughter padma is in love with the grandson of this potty ayer okay so potty ayer has a son whose name is parmeshwar ayer and uh, parmeshwar ayer's son is the person whom padma kasturi has set her heart on and so kasturi is also eager to get this marriage fixed but when he is just th- considering approaching parmeshwar ayer for his son's hand parmeshwar ayer comes and says you know your daughter is of marriageable age and kasturi says yeah okay and he says so therefore let me find a perfect groom for you <laughs> you know i have found a bride for my son mm-hmm. in the same way let me find a groom for your daughter oh kasturi is disappointed and he writes in his book loving god that padma is heartbroken because she had already you know pledged her heart to this uh, son of parmeshwar ayer and the next day not next day maybe a few days later parmeshwar ayer comes running to kasturi's home what has happened parmeshwar ayer says that swami came in his dream and swami has told him something because of which he has come in fact in his book kasturi writes the mind plays tricks when the brain is asleep 
you know that's what he calls about his dream experience because he is unaware of the ways of working of swami and in the dream swami has told parmeshwar ayer you better come to my presence immediately and when parmeshwar ayer has gone to his presence swami has just lambasted him for trying to find a groom for padma okay and says that the perfect match for padma is your son kasturi's daughter and parmeshwar ayer's Oh, Swami tells Parmeshwar Iyer. Okay. Parmeshwar Iyer. Okay. Parmeshwar Iyer's son. Right. Forty Iyer is out of the scene now. Okay. Parmeshwar Iyer okay. is receiving it, and so he says that Parmeshwar Iyer, your son, should wed Kasturi's daughter. Okay. And Kasturi says, "Did he mention my daughter's name? Yes. Not only your daughter's name, he mentioned your name also." Mm-hmm. Now, Kasturi is wonderstruck, and his first expression is, "Wow, this Baba is worth cultivating." You know, he is having practical uses. <laughs> he is helping in this marriage, and that is how later on, you know, in in July. Kasturi visits Swami first. He visits Swami at Thirvenkatam Railway Commissioner's Shetis. bungalow. Right. There's one Thiruvenkattam Shetty. Yes, and that a, incident is also amazing. Right. So that's when I think he meets uh, Kasturi for the first time. Yes, and uh, Swami calls Kasturi for the interview. Mm-hmm. And when Kasturi is wondering what Swami will speak to him, the first statement that Swami ever makes to Kasturi just bowls him over, and he's he's actually confused totally. Mm-hmm. Swami tells him. You will write my Jeeva Charitra. Jeeva you will Charitra, be my biographer. Right. Wow, wow! You know, even as I say it, I get goosebumps on my skin. It's so amazing. Just imagine a person who is criticizing Swami so far, who has no idea who this Sai Baba is, is told in his very first meeting that you will be the one who will write my biography. Oh my God! And today we are having this radio satsang on Satyam Shivam Sundaram. <laughs> a name which has been coined by shri n kasturi for swami's biography and it's so beautiful you know because imagine that kasturi was a professor of history you know the essentially he was that of course he did many things as a literary scholar to him this must have been the most enticing bait of being a historian of somebody whom he has already seen that you know he is no ordinary person because he is moving with the royalty and he's doing some phenomenal things the idea of being a biographer to a person such as this would have been such a interesting and exciting bait for him exactly and so that was another landmark event as far as we devotees are concerned in 1948 the later months of 1948 that is from september to december onwards you know as such nothing notable in courts happened because apart from swami's birthday of course in november of 1948 through the other time you know there are people have recorded in fact it is recorded even in kasturi's book ishwaramma the chosen the mother, chosen mother right. that swami became quite sick nobody knows what was the sickness and in fact if anybody made mention to that swami would brush it off and say nothing illness and sickness is only for the body not to me but you know swami's face became very sunken swami lost a lot of weight swami spent most of those few months 3 to 4 months almost at Sakama's home in Bangalore, and recovering you know, and recuperating. There was also a change in the personality. That's what they note. Uh-huh. Because Swami did not like doing what he was so excited about doing. You know, till then the narrative which you've heard is Swami is excited about going to Chitravati, and Swami is excited about. We've spoken about how Swami would tie a swing and swing around, and the garland making and all that. Suddenly, Swami didn't seem to have interest in things which earlier interested him. 
and even with food so he would hardly eat anything and as you said that's when sakama forcefully took him to bangalore to stay there in her house in the bull temple road right exactly in yeah bangalore that's still there <laughs> is it okay and that's why there is not much of accounts but of course a lot of people who who we're going to refer to later came to swami and met swami during that period when swami stayed in sakama's house that's a very uh, very interesting phase you know very uh, it might be startling actually to reveal that and it is there in ishwarama the chosen mother uh, in fact one or two devotees have recorded in their diary that during this time swami even spoke about leaving his body and taking mahasamadhi and at that time they were shocked and they said swami you cannot you can't do this they were unable to uh, comprehend what would happen and they almost were convinced that in 1948 swami's avatarhood would come to an end adi shankara uh, swami vivekananda all of them left very early you know parmamsa yogananda lived maybe little longer but all others you know quite young they left so they they thought that would be the fate of swami also but then you know swami himself assured them that nothing is going to happen as such right. and I he would that, stay uh, kasturi writes in ishwarama the chosen mother that sakama and sushilama actually go and plead with swami hmm. they fall at his feet and they request him to extend his avatar not, not to leave so early <laughs> we must be definitely grateful to those two women because they were the instruments whom swami had chosen to make that request and swami acceded and stayed on till 2011 physically it was amazing so with that we come to the close of 1948 and dear listeners as we stated the last 3 4 months there is not much of thing recorded other than of course swami visited puttaparthi for his birthday in november and it was again a grand affair with all the things that we described about the previous birthday happening there were the processions there was the anointing and there were bhajans and there were ceremonies everything went on as as we had described previously but again after that birthday celebration in 1948 swami returned back to the home of sakama in bangalore where he rested and recovered till almost the january of 1949 in fact one of the things which swami told during that period was and he said many of the avatars actually go through that period where mm. the body you know all said and done it's a physical frame it doesn't have the ability to hold the power that it is actually holding mm. so swami said my body is going through a process of restructuring and that's what was the period and in fact we had made mention of this even last week where swami was looking a little you know sick and uh, famished during that period the body had become weak right. and swami stated and it is there in ishwarama the chosen mother as you said that this is a period when its body is preparing to uphold the grand tasks that the avatar has come to do and oh my god now naturally i think the body underwent a lovely preparation because later on even when we look at 65th birthday or 75th 70th birthday or 75th birthday swami definitely looks at least 10 to 15 years younger than what his bodily age is and hats off for that amazing preparation of 3 4 months that his body went through so with our humble pranams and gratitude at bhagwan's lotus feet thanking him profusely for this beautiful opportunity to live and relive his life and share with all of us we take leave Sai Ram 
you just heard an episode of our radio series afternoon satsang this is a discussion between radio sai's prem and arvind on different spiritual topics and the topic of today's episode was satyam shivam sundaram the life story of bhagwan sri satya sai baba this was first featured as part of radio sai's thursday live at 12:30 pm on october 31st 2013 we hope you enjoyed it your comments and suggestions are very important to us please mail them to listener at radiosci.org next week same day same time will be the continuation of today's episode stay tuned thank you and loving sairam from prashant nilayam